everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 400. Woo! Yay! Yay! Can you believe it? We actually made to 400. Gracious. And to celebrate... What you drinking? I have a Stone IPA. I have a Corona, which I found out our local convenience store sells gigantic bottles of Corona with limes. Ooh, nice. Very perfect. Oh, goodness, man. 400 episodes. So, you know, we never have a plan going into a lot of our episodes, uh, but we did have a plan for this one. It's based on this idea. Everything that we love, if you've listened to any of these podcasts, you know there's certain things that we come back to over and over again. But we've been recapping these things starting from the middle. Like the whole podcast started when we recapped the renovations episode of Welcome to Night Vale. Which was and something was like episode 48, I think. Something, yeah. It was way in there. And then you've got Saga, which we've talked about Saga multiple times, but we started on that in the middle. And certainly Laura Olympus. I mean, there was over 100 episodes, I think, before we even started on it. Mm -hmm. So we suddenly thought, wow, why don't we go back to the beginning and recap the first issues slash episodes of some of these things that we love so much? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Although we need to keep it fairly brief because we've got several of them. And we've also got the latest two episodes that we've read of Laura Olympus that we need to recap. Although I think that... That will be kind of fast because some big things happen, but I don't think it'll take long to uh, sum it up. No, no, I think you're right. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to start talking about Night Vale number one. And I listened to it again this weekend. You know what? One thing that surprised the heck out of me. What was that? I would have given good money that either Waiting for the Bus in the Rain or IA or a handful of other songs was the very first weather in that episode, but it wasn't. It was These and More Than These. By um, Joseph Fink, wasn't it? He was the singer and the songwriter. So yeah, that was... I I think you're right. I'm not sure what I would have thought the first one was, but I just remember being baffled the first time I listened to that episode when Cecil says, let's go to the weather, and then you hear music. I'm like... Huh? And it, it, I think it took an episode or two before I caught on to what the hell was going on with that. Seriously. And it's such an iconic part of Night Vale. My goodness. And it also was the first mention of the dog park and the hooded figures. Also, the first mention of Old Woman Josie and the angels, um, mm-hmm. Carlos, the helicopters, and what the different colors mean, you know, being out in the sand waste. It was all a bunch of stuff that has come back again and again. And I really think that's something that is consistent across all of these firsts. There is a lot of consistency between the first episode and what we're seeing now. I don't see that they've taken things in a different direction. Honestly, it almost feels like they had everything planned out. I know they haven't for Nightville, but it feels like they had everything planned out so that it would all flow organically to the most recent episodes. Yeah, and... The, some of the differences that I noticed, for one, when Cecil talks, his voice is way more calm now. His I a was lot more animation in his voice Just nowadays. thinking that because he was trying to go for the late night radio host in this and to sound very grounded, very calm. But you're right. He's gotten a lot more enthusiastic about everything. But, you know, <laughs> he's married and has a child now and lots of things have happened. So, yeah, it's not surprising that he's changed a bit. Nope. I also noticed that when 
when he signed off. It's the very first sign off of the very first episode of Night Vale. And he does not say good night, Night Vale. Good night. He says good night, listeners. Good night. Yep. Yep. That could possibly be a trivia question somewhere. Which episodes does Cecil not say good night, Night Vale? But hearing him just talk so glowingly about Carlos and how he was instantly smitten. And it just reminds me how delighted I was when they actually did become an item, because I honestly thought that the trajectory of their relationship was going to be Cecil being all in love and Carlos being kind of weirded out by this strange radio station who seems to think that they have some kind of bond. But no, they just, they fell in love and it was great. So adorable. And to kind of segue into there from the very first episode of Night Vale to the very first episode of Binary System Podcast, we were recapping renovations. Mm -hmm. And if you've forgotten about that one, that's where they actually have Cecil and the Angels and Kashuk coming back from the desert otherworld with the wonderful line, he's holding a cat. And then the music comes in and everything. So I'm sure that's the reason why we decided to start recapping this and recording it, because we were so excited. And I was rather tickled about the fact that our first episode featured all the keyboard noises and instant messenger alerts and me talking over you all the time because I hadn't figured out that there was a delay with Skype. (laughs) Right, right. I didn't notice the talking over. It was... Yeah, it wasn't as polished as it's become, but let's be honest, we've never really wanted to be that polished anyway. No, no. And we did mention in that episode about how important it is when you're trying Welcome to Night Vale for the first time to start at the beginning. So I was just like, yes. we've come full circle. We sure have. And for anybody who's ever tried to get into Night Vale and couldn't quite get into it, I think the key is the first few episodes you should listen to, just think of them as being very atmospheric. The plot of Night Vale really doesn't get started until, gosh, after a couple dozen episodes that are all pretty standalone for quite some time. But if you just put it on just to give you just a nice, weird, sort of unsettled feeling, I think it's best for that. Yeah, and I think they're fairly short episodes in the beginning. They really couldn't sustain that weirdness for longer than 18 or so minutes, I think, until they did develop a plot. Although you see the seeds of a lot of different plots starting in this first episode. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's it for Night Vale and for our first episode. From here, we were going to jump into the thing that we talk about constantly on this podcast, and that's Laura Olympus. Yes. Um, With this first episode, it starts with Hades getting ready to go to a party that Zeus is throwing and calling his girlfriend, Minth, to find out where she is. And Minth is taking a bath and smoking a cigar and telling him she doesn't feel like being seen with him because he stinks of death. And I'm reading that and going, I am so surprised he ever gave her a second chance after that. But it really goes to show how toxic their relationship was. I mean, even though Minth is a damaged person and was operating out of hurt, and it turns out that she said that because she found a wedding ring in Hades's pocket and wanted to put him off trying to ask her to marry him. So it was a panic move. But still, that's pretty shitty. Yeah, she's right from the get-go. She was not a very pleasant person. I thought it was interesting that we got to meet Hera in this episode. And then Zeus comes up and Hera and Zeus, they were being kind of lovey-dovey and flirting with each other. I don't think they were ever like that ever again in the entire 200 or so episodes of this webtoon. And I know Rachel or maybe somebody on Lore Olympians has talked about this before, that Hera 
like in her actual history and mythology and the way that she was worshipped, she was a very powerful goddess who was a protector of women and marriage and all that. But then writers like getting hold of her story started changing it until she got turned into kind of a scold. And it almost feels sometimes like we're seeing a balance between that, that Hera is a powerful goddess in her own right. And Zeus is kind of a dog and she's always having to smack him down for whatever he's doing. But you're right. They were being very flirty in this episode, kind of like, teehee, oh, you just drive me crazy, that sort of thing. But I think they may have been drunk. Ah, yes. Well, that does make sense. Yeah. We also got to see them sort of picking on each other. And we had that. It was one of the things that actually attracted me to the story right from the get-go, just a little throwaway bit. You've got Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades in kind of like an upper balcony area looking down on the party. And Poseidon's like, Zeus, did you invite Odysseus? And Zeus is like, yeah, I like to see you get mad. And Poseidon is enraged. And he's kind of like tapping on the glass. Hey, Odysseus, move on. And he runs away. That's never come up ever again in the entire series. But I was just like, oh, man, that makes so much sense. Poseidon would just hate Odysseus. Oh, Oh, my God. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see the dynamic between Poseidon and Athena if oh if she had been at the party and seen that Odysseus was there because Odysseus was always one of her favorites so that might right. cuz i don't think we've seen Poseidon and Athena sniping at each other ever in Lore Olympus no and honestly it's one of the only times i remember seeing Poseidon actually get mad about anything i mean the things we know about Poseidon he may not be the brightest out of all of them but he's still you know whatever he's a god um and he loves his wife Dear Lord, he loves his wife. He loves his wife, and yet at the same time, they're polygamous. So the fact that he's sleeping around all the time is perfectly acceptable. It's just so interesting that you have so much more of a healthy relationship between Poseidon and his wife than Hera with Zeus, and yet both Zeus and Poseidon are sleeping around. But Poseidon has actually found a woman who is okay with that. Yeah, she's, and I, I know that I think she has her lovers too. It wasn't in this episode. It was in a future episode, I think, where Poseidon actually offered his wife to Hades to oh, make yes. him feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you like imagine a, his wife might have actually been okay with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we also get to see Artemis for the very first time. And this is, I think Artemis has never quite been like this again. She kind of comes across as a bit of a party girl. She's definitely trying to cajole Persephone into coming out to the party, and Artemis is wearing her party dress and everything. And I think the Artemis that we know now is a bit more grounded and more of a athletic tomboy type, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah it was I, interesting to see an early version of her. Yeah, I think she... She took on a lot of responsibility when she invited Persephone to stay with her because she really felt bad about Persephone being under her mother's thumb. So I think maybe in this first episode, it's kind of like, you know, the the tie between her earlier days without responsibility and then her days with responsibility. Keeping in mind, after this episode, Persephone gets roofied and dumped in Hades' car, and Artemis has no idea where she is. So that may have, like, gotten her to serious up a little bit. Yeah, entirely possible. I was very surprised that it ended as soon as it did, because we basically got... Hades talking to Minth, and then Hades showing up to the party, and a little bit of the party stuff, and Artemis trying to convince Persephone to come to the party, 
And Persephone says, okay, but she shows up and Artemis is going, oh, you can't wear that. Everybody's going to think you're a relic here. I've got another dress for you. And this is our first view of Persephone just looking. It's a very different style in the early days, but still very beautiful. And Persephone's saying, oh, thanks, you're a lifesaver and everything. And she's wearing basically like Greek toga and sandals and everything, Mm -hmm. which is a big contrast to how she shows up to the party. I mean, Artemis found her like the shortest dress that exists. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And bearing all the boobs. Oh, yeah. But that's it. That's it ends where Persephone is thanking Artemis and they haven't even gotten to the party yet. And I went, oh. For some reason, I think I conflated the first and the second episode together. I always picture that scene where she wakes up in bed, not sure where she is, and her hair is just kind of like this neon pink stream flowing away from the bed. I always conflate that with the first episode, and I don't think Mm -hmm. that happens until like the third or fourth episode. Yep, yep, you're right. It takes a little while, but... Oh, so beautiful. And the colors are really gorgeous. Oh, They're yeah. Just I mean, wonderful. That was what attracted me to it when you pointed it out, just how they pop these colors. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Okay, so this segue we're going to take, because we're not going to skip our regular recap, so we do have two more episodes of Laura Olympus to recap this week. So we're going to start with episode 266, which is available for free on the Webtoons app, and then we're going to go straight into 267, which is only available if you're fast-passing, which we are, and... I got to tell you, this week with 267, this is the first time in a while that I have been so tempted to fast pass just one more episode. I was, I was actually okay with not because my heart was in my throat the entire time. I mean, she's, oh. she puts warnings in the front of these episodes about references to sexual assault and manipulation and that sort of thing. Yeah. And just any time Apollo is on screen, it just makes me go, God. Oh. So 266, this is the episode where Hades is going to do the dream dive. And it's a pretty fast recap. I'm going to be honest. Some of the commenters, like I said before, the commenters are getting a little antsy. I think some of them are getting a little rude, I have to admit. I saw one of the top comments. It was somebody saying, this reads like someone trying to pad out the word count in their English essay. I don't know why that was a top comment, though. Did that many people agree with it? Because, I mean, I... I don't see anything that would cause that kind of a reaction. No, and I admit that there are a lot of panels where it's just them looking at each other and holding their hands and hoping that everything's going to be okay. It's just, I don't know, some episodes are longer and more wordy and some episodes aren't. But I really feel like everybody lashing out at Rachel Smythe about, oh, this was so short and nothing happened and everything. This is literally killing the golden goose. She does not have to finish anything if she doesn't want to. And I am just perfectly fine with being like, take your time. Do whatever you want to do. I want to get the ending eventually. You want to tell it quickly. You want to tell it slowly. That's fine. Obviously, I want things to move fast because I'm impatient. But I'm not going to get into the comments and be like, I can't believe we paid money to read this and everything. Well, then don't pay the money. Wait to read it for free. Nobody's making you do the fast pass. You can chill out for a bit if you want. That and I don't understand when people complain about too many pictures. I mean, it reminds me Oh, I can't even remember which episode it was of uh, Red Letter Media we watched where they talked about coverage 
and how so many of these terrible filmmakers don't know how to do coverage. They just like two people talking, two people talking, fight. Everybody, you know, viewed from one camera. And meanwhile, if you watch like a good movie, there'll be all these like little shots that are inserted in, like somebody's foot skidding on the ground. And that's what I think Rachel is doing with all of these, with just like the little quick views of the crowd around the sleep dive setup or, you know, a hand or an eye or something like that. I think it really adds to the storytelling. Oh, yeah. Especially it it ramps up the tension because here it is. Hades is going to go into the dream dive. He's actually got chains put on him to make sure that he doesn't go crazy with Kronos infecting him and everything. And then Morpheus shows up. And it's just, we know that something bad happened to Morpheus last episode. So when she shows up, we're like, oh God, what's going to happen? And I, I got to admit, I mean, I think we knew. They start the dream dive and immediately Morpheus gets the chronos eyes and looks at Persephone and says, I told you I'd see you again, and grabs Hades and drags him kind of out of the area out of this dimension, I suppose. And she tries to chase after him and she screams for him. And he's floating in front of her, still chained. And he pulls her to him and he whispers something to her and then he shoves her and he shoves her out of whatever dimension it is that they're in. And she crash lands back in the underworld and then everything ends and they're gone. And that's, yeah. And that, that's pretty much everything that happened except... Hakate was talking with Hades before the dream dive got started. And she was like, is there any chance I can talk you out of it? What am I saying? Of course I can't. And then she tells him, I have known you since you were a dot and I love you. And I want you to know that nobody expects you to do this. And then she says, and I made everybody sign an NDA. So if you back out, nobody can say anything. And Hades just looks up at her, and there's this pause, and he says, I love you too. And she just kind of clears her throat. <clears throat> I just thought that was very sweet, because she's always been in his corner since this whole always. series got started. Always. And I don't know how Rachel managed to put this across, but you know, even without the Persephone-Hades connection, when Hecate and Hades say they love each other, this is not a romantic love. This is like the love of a sister or a son or a mother or something. It's very familial, very platonic, but really, really passionate. And I like that. I like that there's not like, oh, is there some sexual tension? No, that's not what this is about. So that is where the episode ends. So we should probably start with 267, which is Persephone giving an extremely calm, business-like press release about what's happened with Hades and Morpheus getting kidnapped and removed from this plane of existence. And it's all intercut with scenes of Persephone losing her freaking mind and like picking up gigantic pieces of furniture and throwing it. She is that upset. Ugh. Now, at some point, when do we actually switch over to where... Apollo is talking to Oranos. Well, Hakate is standing outside the medical area because Persephone's getting checked out to make sure that she's okay. And a woman comes running up. She's like, I've got a message for Persephone. And Hakate's like, what is it? And then Persephone walks out and she's very disheveled. And I have to say, the dress she was wearing was amazing oh, for this whole that thing. Black this, dress. Oh, oh this gigantic. Man. I mean, you could see it looked like it had actual weight, like a velvet dress, and huge yes. and flowing. And her breasts are out and everything, and it's just <laughs> really, really pretty. But she comes out of the medical area and she looks at both of them, and Rachel just gives her this absolutely stricken expression, and she's like, "Oh gods, what is it now?" And that's yeah. when we go to Apollo. 
So Oranos is talking to Apollo and saying that the king of the underworld has been removed and that now everything's in place for Apollo to basically claim the queen. And he hands Apollo something and Apollo says, is this going to fix the moral realm? And Oranos says, not by itself. And I don't know, Apollo says something. Apollo is at least smart enough to be aware that no god is going to be okay with him claiming himself to be the king of the gods. Right. And Oranos tells him that this will remove any argument about how he needs to have Persephone as his queen. Oh, and god. he just has to claim her. And I'm just, you know, he had, because he had said, uh, my great grandson. Uh, the king of the underworld is gone and he's floating in front of uh, Apollo in his whole god form. So it removed any question that Apollo might not quite know who he's talking to or what he's doing. I mean, it's like, yes, it's very clear. This is a titan who was overthrown. It's a very, very bad idea what he's doing. But Ornos also tells him, your queen is now in place. And I'm sort of going, <clears throat> excuse me, Persephone isn't your anything. Oh, but, God. Oh, so God. He's, he has to, he's calling a press conference. But first, he has to talk to Persephone. Uh, and the phone rings, and Persephone does actually answer it. And Apollo is just awful, saying something like, you know, oh, there's, you know, no checkpoints anymore, so you got to talk to me. Ha, ha, ha. He's just so freaking smug. And she's just got this very blank look on her face. And she says, I could use my death powers on you. That would be adorable. And uh, Apollo says, well, you can't kill me. And there's this, like, pause in the picture, pause, another picture, next picture. Are you sure? <laughs> so <laughs> she's very, very, like, she's not going to kowtow to him at all. Nope, nope. But he does eventually convince her that she's got to come to this meeting. But she gets there, and she's in a completely different dress now. It's a very business-like, short, black dress. But there's a lot of people, because I believe we see Athena at one point, and we see Persephone, and everybody is wondering, like, why is this done public? I understand the need for a meeting, but why does he have to have, like, broadcasters and everything here? And obviously, it's because it's Apollo. He's going to do a show. He asks where Hera is. Someone says that she said to tell him that she hates him with a passion of a thousand burning suns. And he's like, I'll put her down for a maybe. So he sees Persephone arrive and says, oh, the lady of the hour. And she asks Ares, why am I the lady of the hour? And Ares says, I don't know. He has to make everything more weird than it needs to be. So Persephone was walking forward and you suddenly see this image of herself in sleepwear, like after the attack, and who says, I'm afraid. And you see Persephone talking to her younger self, telling her, I will protect you, I promise. And she hugs her. So that Aww. was that was very good. But before she walks over to Apollo, you know, Apollo calls her over in front of all these cameras. And Ares just says, if you want to leave, just say the word. And I'm like, oh, and I know Ares would just fight like the entire world just to get her out of there, even though he probably knows she's never going to sleep with him. Oh, yeah. Ares is just... He's gone from this kind of like, he was a bit of a sex pest too. And he yeah. certainly lied to Persephone when she first met him and everything. And he can be irritating and smug and all this kind of, but my, it's another thing that Rachel has turned us around on Aries because Aries, he's in Persephone's corner. He yes. so is. Yep. So Persephone walks up to Apollo and Apollo says, do you consent for me to touch your arm? And I think a lot of the commenters were like, oh yeah, he knows what consent means. He just doesn't yeah. try to ask for it most of the time. 
But she says, I guess. And he, does she say, I guess? Because I think that was kind of what she said when he was pressuring her into sex. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, it's like, so she's, she's telling him, yeah, but it's very clear this isn't her first choice at all. So he touches her arm and all this light starts glowing out of both of them. And then suddenly her springtime powers come flowing out of her arm with Apollo touching her. And my notes here are, ugh, Persephone's powers of springtime come back when she's in contact with Apollo. That's not good. No. <sighs> Interesting that one of the commenters, because of everything that uh, Apollo was doing, I love this one comment from Caldwell Thomas III. Artemis, if you're out there, take the shot. <laughs> Ooh, if she had that arrow of letting everybody see what a person is truly like, <gasps> I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. That would be really, really nice. But we don't see Artemis. We still have no idea what's going on with um, Psyche and Eros at this point. Nope. Um, nope. We don't know what Apollo wanted a arrow of true well we know what apollo wanted an arrow of true love for but he hasn't made clear how he's going to use it so Mm -hmm. i can only think that he's going to try to do something in private you know what it just occurred to me would be really wonderful if somehow hades came back and managed to intercept the arrow and got the arrow and either like Persephone got scratched with the arrow and saw Hades, or Hades got scratched with the arrow and saw Persephone. I'm like, it's already true love. Yay! (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, every time I see Apollo, I'm just like, Jesus, just something bad has to happen to him. I did think it was interesting when Ornos handed him whatever it is that's allowing him to basically harness Persephone's powers of springtime. Apollo didn't look happy. And I, you know, like, if you want to think that there's anything redeemable about him, I don't think he thinks it's a good idea that he's working with a Titan. And I don't think he's okay with how much people would hate him if they find out what he's doing. And possibly maybe even feels bad that he feels he has to do this in order to get his way because nobody loves him. Oh, man. Zeus coming back would certainly solve a lot of problems if they could figure out what was going on with him. But yeah, we're going to have to get Psyche and Eros back in order to resolve that particular wrinkle. And we still don't know what happened to Cassandra after Psyche and Eros had to turn themselves in to keep her from being hurt. We also don't know exactly what Dionysus has been trying to tell everybody. No, no. And we haven't seen Hephaestus for ages. And Hephaestus was the one who started the snooping on Apollo. Yeah. Yep, yep. And um, Hera, I'm sure, is not going to be idle, though we've got that, she saw that vision of herself being destroyed by Kronos. So, I mean, there's a lot of dangling plot lines at this point. But seriously, Rachel, take your time. Yes. You don't have to rush on our behalf. No. It'll be fine. No, we will keep dropping in the Fast Pass coins as often as we possibly can, which is like once every two weeks. But, you know. Gracious. Okay, so next on our start at the beginning... Saga is a comic that we have talked about a bunch, and it has broken our hearts on multiple occasions. And I don't think that I have read the first issue since I first read it back in like 2013, maybe 2012. It is It is pretty freaking hilarious that the very first picture in the very first issue, it's Alana, and she's in labor, but you just see her head and shoulders, you know, looking uh, in profile, and she's saying, am I shitting? It feels like I'm shitting, and it's kind of like, 
like both the artist and the writer were saying, if you're going to nope out of this series, you need to do it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so there's so much like that. I mean, I don't know. She says something like, of course, Marco's there helping her with the labor. And she he says that she's beautiful. And you're like, you're not going to be beautiful if I like shit all over your face or something. You know, it's just like <laughs> right from the get go. They're like, we're going to just going to try and offend you a little bit here, if that's OK. But it really does sum up the entire war that's been going on in this series with the fact that, you know, the baby's born and then suddenly there's a pounding on the door. And it turns out they've been hiding out in this like mechanics repair shop or something and all of a sudden these people burst in and they're the wings faction led by um, one of the tv headed uh, people and they've been tipped off by the mechanic but then another faction comes in the horns faction and it turns out the mechanic was selling information to both sides and they all start fighting and Marco and Alana are just like, all they can do is just like huddle together. They are unarmed. There is nothing they can do. And they're in the middle of the crossfire and somehow they don't die. And it really, with everything that has happened in this series, it really hits different to know that both of them were prepared to die in that first issue just because of how crazy this whole situation is. Yeah. I was kind of amazed at how many people we do see for the first time in this first issue. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff. All the the, the major threads, I think. You've got the robots, so the TV-headed people. You've got the Will and Lion Cat, um, both of which have been pushed by opposite factions to try to find Alana and Marco and their child in order to cover this up. They managed to fit in a whole summary of the war between Wreath and Landfall and the horns Uh and the wings and how... If either the planet or the moon was destroyed, it would send the other one spinning off into the void. So they had to outsource the war to the rest of the galaxy, which kind of feels like, you know, modern warfare nowadays. That It all spreads so much further than the original conflict. Oh, yeah. I thought it was interesting that we met Special Agent Gale, which is the guy with the wings. I had so yeah. forgotten that he was in the first issue. I hadn't realized Very that he was issue. that integral to the whole uh, Prince Robot having to go out. Who's, you know, Prince Robot is suffering from some serious PTSD. He just got back from a tour of duty. He's trying to start a family. And suddenly he's got to go out on a mission to try to find a deserter and a prisoner of war who absconded and went off and made a baby. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting with Special Agent Gale that he sort of is telling Prince Robot about the people that he's supposed to be tracking down and murdering. And he shows a picture of Alana. And that's when Gale says, yeah, we were in basic training together. And I thought she was this, this, that and the other and a bit of a slut. And it wasn't it was like two or three issues ago, like in real time. I'm talking like very, very recently within the past few months that we actually got to see that of Gale meeting Alana in training and asking her out and her basically turning him down and him being like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Fucking bitch. You know, it's just like, (laughs) wow. Yeah, he's he's had a mat on her for a really long time. Really long time. There was something that I was wondering. It was something that came up. I don't know if this was ever actually hinted at. Does it seem like, you know, when Prince Robot is raising Squire on his own and Squire's getting older, does it seem like Squire's, like, television head is different from his father and his mother? Uh, maybe a little. I know that he was always encouraged to only broadcast in black and white because you only broadcast in color if you're a member of the royal family. So right, I that was yeah. always interesting. 
But my wondering was that you know they were he was he was telling Gail that he was supposed to be starting a family now that was what he told his father he was going to be doing but he gets sent off on this mission and we saw him and his wife trying to have sex but having to stop because he keeps having flashbacks to being in battle whatever I was just wondering if his wife like was two timing him or something and that Squire wasn't actually his child but it had to have been a royal person that she was two timing him with because the baby is royal. Uh maybe not. I mean, if the baby's half royal, will the baby still broadcast oh, in color I don't because No. There was that one it was like a janitor or just some lowly peasant person who stole Squire for yep. a while. Right? Oh yeah. And he was he was definitely a peasant and only black and white. Wouldn't it have been amazing if that was the father? I don't know. I think Prince Robot had a brother who had died. And I always mm-hmm. wondered if maybe she was getting it on with his brother before he died. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, just looking back and having jumped into that first issue, I was like, oh, oh, crap. Because what are we on? How many issues of Saga are there now? Like 60 or whatever? And I just thought, oh, no, I got to I gotta do a reread. <laughs> I just, like, stop there. I, yeah, I definitely do. I mean, it ends with Marco and Alana still trying to figure out a name for the baby. And they've been arguing back and forth about possible names. And she has an idea for something. But he says that it's a, a really, you know, ugly word in his language. And she wants to, like, do... Uh, a wing bleeding ceremony, which he says, we swore we weren't going to do anything religious. And she's like, a wing bleeding isn't religious, it's cultural. And <laughs> so it's just very funny how the two of them are fighting. But they're trying to find this rocket ship forest uh, that they have this hand-drawn map for. And she doesn't want to just hunker down. She wants to go out and see the universe. But they see that the front of a war has moved even closer to them. She's starting to despair, but he tells her that she was right. And he said, we've just got to have hope. And she just looks at him and says, if you try to name my baby that I'm asking for a divorce, then you see the handwritten <laughs> note, my name is Hazel. And I thought, oh, that was just so perfect. <laughs> it was adorable. It was so cute. Now, there are two lines, because, of course, Hazel is doing the narration mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Two things she said. One, from my very first day, I was pursued by men. All of them tried to hurt me, but only one managed to break my heart. Mm-hmm. Is she talking about the Will who killed her father? She might be, I think. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. That's up in the air at this point, isn't but, it? Yeah. But the other thing she says is, towards the end, she said that, you know, her something about her life and having to run, but saying, but at least I got to grow old or grow up, and then it switches to a picture of Alana and Marco kissing and the little narration, not everybody does. And that was the same thing that she said when, spoilers, what happened to Marco. So Yes, yes. And you're right, it is grow old. It's specifically grow old. So it's one thing to grow up and everything, but I'm like... Everybody always says, we at least know that Hazel will be okay because she's the narrator and she's going to grow old. And I'm like, uh, Brian K. Vaughn could find a way to turn that on its head. I'm sure he could could find a loophole. But yeah, that was a fantastic way to start the issue. I can't, I was amazed at how much was included in that one (laughs) issue, setting everything up like that. Yeah. And the art is beautiful, but I will say over time, it's gotten even more beautiful. Yes, it really has. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last one that we're going to talk about for this episode. Anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that we love us some Transformers and 
probably, I would say, our favorite Transformers series to date has been the IDW More Than Meets the Eye series. Yes, it was followed up by The Lost Light, which was almost as good. It was still James Roberts doing the writing, so that was amazing. But More Than Meets the Eye, I'll have to post a link to the review that I did when it was only like five or six issues in. But I, I took a look at that, and I still agree with the sentiment. I, before then, I don't think I'd enjoyed a Transformers series that much in years and years. Yeah, it is, yeah. guys, it is so good. And you can just start with the first issue. I mean, there's, there's stuff that led up to it, but none of it's really important. Because all you need yep. to know is there's a bunch of misfits getting on board a spaceship and going off to find the legendary Knights of Cybertron. And... Everybody is just like, in their own way, they're kind of losers. But it's so fun. It is. And that's the thing. There's so much humor in this. I don't know that there's ever been a Transformers book that managed to balance just really big stakes at times. I mean, horrible things happened in this series, but there's so much that's so funny. I mean, a lot of jokes. Now, there is an issue called The Death of Optimus Prime, and that happens really just just right before the first More Than Meets the Eye. So if you want to read that, you can. But all you need to know there is the war is over. And that's what, for me, makes this series better than any other Transformers series. They're breaking new ground. We're not talking about the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons. The war has taken over the entire planet. It's finally over. And honestly, in any kind of armed conflict that you've ever heard about, there's always one side fighting against the other. And then there are civilians all over the place who are honestly pissed off at both of them. And that's where we get to hear the term nail. What is it? Non-aligned indigenous life form. Yep. It's a transformer that is neither Autobot nor Decepticon. And that's brought up in this. And that's it's just so cool because James Roberts has given us so much history within just the first few pages of More Than Meets the Eye. He has really just just broadened the world to a degree that I've never seen any series do before or since. I mean, one of the scenes is Bumblebee and Ratchet in the morgue, and they've got uh, one of the nails who in protest against any of the Autobots and Decepticons still sticking around after all the trouble they've caused for millennia, transformed himself to death and just kept transforming until he completely wore out his body over a matter of weeks, I think, and then dies. And he, like, he's lying on the slab, but then all of a sudden he, like, transforms one last time into a car mode, which startles yes. Bumblebee. And Bratchett says it's totally normal. It's rigor morphous, which means that when they, a Transformer dies, the last act is to go to their preferred shape. And yes, sometimes it's the alt mode. I don't know that I had seen the term alt mode before that. Maybe not. Maybe I don't not. know. And, it, yeah. and James Roberts... Towards the end of More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Light, we were even starting to get to the point where we were like, God, I just, I don't know enough to understand this series because, man, James Roberts is a Transformers fans fan. This guy, he knows all about the toys. He knows about all the series, whether it's the cartoons, whether it's the comic books. I mean, he has this wealth of knowledge and he drags it in there. And it's just, from the second I saw that, and just the words rigor morphous, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so totally in. (laughs) Also, it's Nick Roche's art with Josh Bertram's colors, and it's gorgeous. And it's so expressive and almost like 
flexible sort of morphing kind of look to it a little bit plasticky almost but everybody's just so much emotion and all this i mean there's an argument between chrome dome and prowl at one point and chrome dome doesn't have a face and yet they were still this very tense argument you could feel how irritated both of them were with each other and that there's a history there and that prowl is kind of becoming maybe not a bad guy but definitely not a good guy anymore he's really underhanded and you find out later on that he was the one that hid something in the basement of the lost light and just all of this stuff coming out and paired up with this beautiful, beautiful artwork where you never have trouble seeing what's happening, like a yes. fight between Whirl and Cyclonus. And it's so easy to see everything that's happening. And wow, there was like a really striking picture of Whirl standing over uh, Cyclonus at one point after he'd knocked him to the ground. It was just, I had to stop for a second and go, damn, that was really beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, Nick Roche. Now he did the art in one of the did he do the art in the records, or was he the writer of the records? He was the writer of the records, I think. Or maybe that was John Barber. We could have looked this up, but why would we prepare? Yeah, so 400 episodes in, we don't do stuff like that. Come on. <laughs> but, yeah. I like the fact that there's a scene because Prowl is absolutely certain that there's no way that Hot Rod's going to be able to convince enough people to take this ship off the planet to just go gallivanting off to look for the Knights of Cybertron. He's like, it's going to be a non-event, and it totally isn't a non-event. There's at least a couple hundred life forms that go, and you see a scene of Prowl flipping a table, like Mm -hmm. literally flipping a table. In the very final episode of More Than Meets the Eye, the story continues in Lost Light, but I believe it's in the final issue of More Than Meets the Eye, there's something that happens and for some reason they need something to be, I don't know, moved or whatever, and they tell Prowl to do his thing and he flips a table and I went, I had no idea that was a callback to the very first issue. Very first issue. Yep. 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 Now, then we get to the bit with Tailgate and you Mm. see Tailgate and I don't know if I had noticed it before, but it definitely has the timestamp that it was six minutes million years ago and tailgate has fallen into a ravine and he's trying to catch the ark to go off into space with nova prime and everybody but his chronometer is busted along with his legs but he sees a couple of cubes of energon that if he can make them explode he can like send up a flare to ask for help and he's like oh this would be easier if i pause didn't keep passing out and you think holy cow how much time happened in that moment when he was passed out? Because it looks yeah. like a few seconds. But then he explodes the Energon cubes, and you see Chrome Dome and Ratchet find him. And it's like six million years that he was oh, stuck man. in that ravine, and he had no idea. I love oh. when writers play with time like that. It's so, it's just wonderfully creepy, because I believe he has a freakout moment a couple issues later when he realizes exactly how much time has gone by. Also, because... Apparently, nobody was looking for him. Nobody (laughs) was looking for him. Nobody noticed. Six million years. Jeez. Which is interesting. I heard that that was one of the reasons why Prowl ended up being the way he was, because he was taken over by... I forget. Not Thundercracker. Who took over Prowl? Somebody took over Prowl's brain. Bombshell, I think. Something like that. I think so. Yeah. 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 And And that was the thing... Somebody, I think it was actually John Barber, and I think it was actually when we interviewed him for the old podcast, that was one of the things that made Prowl so bitter, was that he wasn't even himself for a really long time, and no one noticed. Nobody noticed. (laughs) 
And then on lighter notes, we got to see Swerve for the first time, which I mean, he's just such a smart ass and he's drawn like such a smart ass. And for the very first moment I saw him, I went, oh, I like this guy a lot. Yeah, his his nickname at the institution was apparently, shut the hell up. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. But yeah, and then there's the explosion and they have to land the ship because there were what, a good, like, 40 life forms that mm-hmm. got blasted out of the ship and they land. And I think it's Hot Rod saying, oh, what's that meteor shower over there? They're like, no, that's not a meteor shower. That's the life forms that got blasted out of the ship re-entering the atmosphere. And I went, oh, dear, holy cow. So did we entirely lose 40 characters that, like, had names, but we just never met them? I, I think we probably did. Because so. it's like 200 and something uh, life forms aboard that ship. We hardly got to meet 200 people or no. even more than, a, like, a couple of dozen, I wouldn't think. I mean, Blaster is there, but... The only time I remember seeing Blaster is right at the beginning, and then when, what's his face? Um, Overlord? No, Brainstorm? What's his name? Uh, Who took over the ship from Hot Rod for a while there. Um, Oh, Getaway. Getaway! There we go. Yes, Getaway. Then Blaster's with Getaway on his side, and there was always a spot in my head that I was like, oh, so Blaster is on the Lost Light. Okay, I forgot that. So we never, we don't see everybody all the time. No, we don't. Big ship. And I cannot remember, the end of the issue is the warning from the future. And like, don't, you know, we're, we're telling everybody from the future, don't let them take off in the ship. Don't let Brainstorm bring his suitcase. And for the sake of all the universe, don't. I don't know if we, what the payoff was for that or if it ever even really mattered. I don't know because James Roberts, he was perfect. I've heard that Neil Gaiman likes to do this. I've seen many people obviously night veil does this where they just they call it seeding the story they just throw in these really random elements and then a year or two later they go oh yeah i threw that in let's just figure out how that pays off so who knows you know maybe they knew what that was going to pay off with maybe they didn't i don't know but oh it's so good it is so good to read this knowing how the series wrapped up and knowing that they did in fact stick the landing i think yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, always the case, every yeah. time. And I wish to God that I liked the more recent series, but I just got tired. And it was like, it was back to the start before the war. And, you know, we're, we're leading up to the big war between the Decepticons and the Autobots. I'm like, great. So we got six million years of history that we know is going to be just variations on a theme. Yeah. I've, I've heard some people say that the new series is being done by uh, Skybound, but occasionally I see some stuff coming from Image, so I don't know what's going on with the license at this point. Some people say it's good, but it's funny, my, my Transformers love is at a low ebb. Rather than jumping into this new series and figuring out if it's any good or not, I really think I'm just going to reread more than meets the eye from the beginning. I'm, I'm down with that plan. Well, I don't know about you. That's all my notes. Any more notes? That's all my notes. I think we covered everything. My goodness. But that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. We got approved for WonderCon press passes. Woo! God, you had to actually chase them down, didn't you, to get that? Yes. Yes. I have a phone number of a person that Andrew, who used to be more prevalent on the site, He was the one who gave me that phone number because back in the day, it wasn't quite as regimented as it is. And sometimes to get press passes, you kind of had to nudge people. 
well, son of a gun, that stupid phone number still works. It's the same person <laughs> and everything. I got their assistant, um, and the assistant checked with them and said, oh, they thought they responded to you, but they've put a note to respond to you today. And within like two hours, I got a response. So I Good. guess we just got forgotten. So yeah, I, I will not hand out that name and number because I don't want to kill the golden goose. But I will say that if you look at old... Um, they put out those like Comic-Con guides mm-hmm. and everything every year with what's happening in panels and stuff. If you look in the beginning, there's usually a thing for the press people involved. And mm-hmm. if you find one of those names and Google them, a phone number will most likely pop up. And that's the same number I had. So hey. do with that what you will if you're looking to get press passes. I'm not going to say that's going to work, but you also cannot tell them that I told you that. But anyway, yeah. all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So, man... 400 episodes. 400 episodes. I would not have thought. I mean, we we were doing episodes before we were even called Binary System Podcast, in case you're confused. Yeah. What were we calling ourselves back then? The, was it the, the Welcome Night to Night Vale Recap? Yeah. Yeah, 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 the Night Vale Recap. And there was maybe before we started calling ourselves Binary, and I don't even know, there may not even be a Binary System number one. I think at some point I started counting us as that, but whatever. There's probably like 20 episodes before then, so... Lots of content, and in case you want to look at our back catalog, it's all there for free. And you got to go to the, what, Anchor FM, I think, or something uh, link? Yes. uh, It's sometimes a little confusing. If you go ahead and Google Binary System Podcast on whatever podcatcher you usually use, there'll be one that says Binary System Archives. That has everything, even the most recent stuff. If you look at the other binary system, that's the one attached to the site. It has the most recent 100 episodes. We did that because podcasts, they take up a lot of file space, and we don't have all of the money. So in case you're wondering, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Yes. But I guess so next week, we will most likely have a Night Vale podcast like we have been doing for the past, I don't know, 400 some odd episodes. 400 episodes. Oh, my goodness. Here's to 400 more. Yay. And thank you for everybody who's listening, whether you've listened to all the episodes, some of the episodes, whether you've come in here on this episode. Welcome. It's nice that you're checking in. That's a rather weird one to start with, but okay. Yes. One way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you all later. first episode of Renovations 
I don't know what made oh, us sorry, decide that. Sorry, our first be- episode of Renovations should be our first episode of Binary System Podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Hang on, I've got a cat who's getting ready to jump. Are you going to jump? Jump? Okay. Let me try that again. So you have much more of a healthy relationship between. God damn. Cat, go away. Let me try that again. <laughs> Hang a second. The cat is washing her toes. <laughs> okay. Last one that we're going to talk about for this episode. I was rubbing my hands together while I was talking. Why do I do that? It just kind of gets revealed. Add, pause, pause, pause. You've been saying ratchet. Do you mean prowl? Oh, I did mean prowl. Shoot, let me try this again. I think it might have actually gone back to the faces. Oh, and yeah, it's an faces. argument between. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. an argument. You said an argument between them and ratchet. And I was sitting here. I was like. Was there an argument you watch it? I thought that was Prowl. <laughs> and then we're going to go into 267, which is only for available, which is only available. I'm so sorry. The edit is just going to be rough this week. <laughs> Let's try again. So, yeah, that works. <laughs>